0: There are also those who claim that our reform efforts would ensure illegal immigrants. This, too, is false. The reforms, the reforms I'm proposing would not apply to those who are here illegal. It's not true.
1: The political career of U.S. Representative Joe Wilson can be defined in two words. You lie. That was his commentary to then President Barack Obama back on September 9th, 2009, during a joint session of Congress. That was Wilson's response to the president's commentary on health care. Now, that commentary made him a folk hero to some and a villain to others. Now, the fact that it made him a folk hero to some is more of an indictment of the lack of political decorum that existed then and, of course, exists now. Now, Joe Wilson's actions hit close to home, not because I voted for President Barack Obama twice, but Joe Wilson is, in fact, my U.S. representative here in the 2nd Congressional District of South Carolina. I wish I could tell you that I'm proud of Representative Wilson's 17 year tenure, but I am not. And not only because of his comments back in 2009. But this is also the same Joe Wilson who very recently supported arming four year olds. He was successfully spoofed into thinking he will be supporting the Kinder Guardians program during a political satire known as Who is America? And really, that is the question at hand now. Who is America? We are. And I'm speaking particularly to my friends listening to this podcast in Aiken County. In Lexington County and Barnwell, everyone in the second congressional district who has personally felt ashamed, disappointed, embarrassed by the political tenure of Joe Wilson. I'm happy to report that he does have opposition coming up this November. We can turn back Joe Wilson with the check of a ballot box. We can tell him the same thing he told President Barack Obama back in 2009 you lie I want you to meet Joe Wilson's opponent Sean Kerrigan we're talking with him right now in this episode of making a difference
2: um, to be a Negro to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost almost all of the time
1: you wonder why I spit the
0: truth but not to make no dough. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. I'm here with a, a very intriguing candidate, a candidate that quite literally hits close to home because I am a resident of the Second Congressional District uh, in South Carolina. Um, his uh, campaign motto is leave no one behind. Uh, I would also encourage you here um, if you get a chance to go to www.carriganforcongress.com. I am, uh, of course, here with a uh, candidate for Congress, Mr. Sean Kerrigan. How you doing, my friend?
0: Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Glad to have you
1: on. I want to jump right into the conversation. Um, for people who who may not have uh, have heard of you, I want to just give you a chance here, very briefly, to just tell people about your campaign and what your um, ambitions are in terms of uh, the seat that you're running for, the uh, U.S. Congress District Two seat.
0: Gotcha. Hey, I appreciate that, Ken. Uh, look, I uh. I'm originally from Inglewood, California. I I left there in uh, 1987 to join the Army at the age of 19. I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. And after 28 years of of Army service, where I was an air defenseman, and then I was a a nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit, and then I uh, finished up on recruiting duty and retired as a first sergeant, I realized that I wanted to continue serving my country. And uh, I heard President Obama uh, he kept making this call to to folks to get involved in politics. Specifically, there was a call for military folks that did not have a political background but had a leadership background to get involved in politics. So uh, President Obama, he said, you could be the change you desire. You just have to pick up a clipboard, knock on some doors, and decide to run for office. So that's what made me decide to run because uh, President Obama's call to action, and my continued desire to make a difference in the average person's lives, I think that uh, there's Well, I know there's 700,000 folks in our district, but all 700,000 of them have not been represented fairly and equally under the uh, by the incumbent. Um, I b- firmly believe that it doesn't matter if you have an R or a D by your name. What matters is you want to make a difference and you want to represent all 700,000 people to move things forward. Now, Congressman Seth Moulton up there in the Northeast, he's also a retired military guy and uh, congressman. And what he said was, um, "Us, uh, there's only 19 percent of congressmen, uh, congress people that have military uh, experience right now." And what he said was, "We are uniquely qualified to be able to reach across the aisle and get things done, because you see, when you're in the military, that's what you do. It doesn't matter." what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're a white guy or an African American or Hispanic. It doesn't matter what your religion religion is. You can be a Muslim, you can be a Christian, you can be a uh, Jewish. It doesn't matter what your faith is. And it doesn't matter what gender you are. What matters is that you can get together and format a team so you can get the job done for everybody and you can come out on the other side successful. And these are the things that, uh, that that I know how to do as a as a retired first sergeant and as a 20-year army man. So in essence, what my campaign about is about, it's about providing leadership that's been absent for 17 years for a hundred percent of the people in South Carolina District 2. It's about providing the bread and butter issues that are important to everybody. Um, before I could get folks to be concerned about uh, issues such as uh, Russia or uh, or the environment, I have to first be able to take care of those bread and butter issues that affect everyday people in, in their everyday lives, such as a living wage for everybody, such as health care for everybody, because people aren't aren't going to be too concerned with these other issues that are also very important if they're worried about feeding their child, if they're worried about having to take their kid to the doctor. We have to solve those basic. Bottom line needs, which currently are not being well represented uh, by our current administration or the officials that are uh, that are uh, really abdicating and 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 uh, letting the president uh, uh, do as he he wishes. We don't have a checks and balances type uh, officials in office right now, and so it's with those things in mind. I want to bring strong leadership. Uh, right now, I believe that the incumbent is weak on holding our, uh, our, our president to a standard that, that Americans uh, have been accustomed to. American values have been lost d- during the last couple of years, and we aim to bring them back.
1: It's a, a very powerful commentary um, in, in terms of talking about yourself and also talking about the incumbent. Basically, with those things that you have addressed, a, a word that I, w- I think I would sum it up under would be diplomacy. And diplomacy is is something that you know, something that I mean, we can I think we can say very specifically with your opponent is something that has been lost. And uh, his two word statement "you lie" has something is something that even here in this area um, has been uh, very polarizing. It's made him a folk hero to some. It's made him uh, a villain uh, to others. But I just want to focus on that word diplomacy and what does that mean to you? And what would that mean in terms of this election? You think?
0: Well. Ken, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously, uh, Joe Wilson embarrassed us uh, back in 2009. uh, And and he didn't just embarrass Democrats. He didn't just embarrass Republicans. He embarrassed the entire state of South Carolina because South Carolinians value civility. And when he stood up at a joint session of Congress and yelled out, you lie, uh, to President Obama at the time, Regardless of whether you you, you, you you agreed or disagreed with them, you don't do that type of stuff. That's not uh, how you act as a statesman. That's not so, uh, a, a, a civil way to act. So when it comes down to diplomacy, uh, really he, sh- he showed what his true character on that day. And he's backed it up ever since. I mean, recently he's, he's called for uh, stating that the Second Amendment doesn't have any age restrictions on it. Uh, which is an utterly ridiculous thing to say. Uh, but diplomacy, look, 28 years in the Army, and and what I could tell you is there was never a time where I felt like my, my leadership was not uh, representing me properly. Uh, I felt like if my leadership was going to deploy me to a, a war, that it was going to be for a just cause. Uh, But now here today, during this administration and the likes of uh, the incumbent backing up this administration, what we have is we have our brothers and sisters, our husbands and wives, our sons and daughters. We don't know when the next war hits uh, because of bad policies, uh, if they're going to be deployed responsibly, and that's just tragic. Furthermore, uh, it's been proven time and time again that uh, that we're, we deploy our soldiers and our, uh, without regard to their injuries and the cost of war, the horrors of war. Uh, we have too many homeless veterans right now in our nation. They estimate about one out of every four homeless folks is a veteran. Mm. So when it gets down to diplomacy, these are the cost of, of not allowing diplomacy to take, uh, take its course. We end up deploying soldiers irresponsibly. We end up, we end up having wars like Iraq Uh, That should not have happened uh, had it not had it been for truthfulness and uh, diplomacy taking effect Our State Department has been gutted and it's not fully staffed and we're not giving diplomacy a a, a full chance instead Our diplomacy is left up to tweets And and then we don't have the check and checks and balances by the Congress ie the incumbent and 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 other folks that are very similar to similar to him to demand that diplomacy override uh, the, the tweeting diplomacy that seems to be the case right now. So diplomacy is very important, and I just, it turns my stomach to think that my brothers and sisters in arms are put in unnecessary harm's way due to lack of diplomacy. That's well stated, and I,
1: I can and you just said, you know, your, your brothers and sisters, I mean, I can only imagine. That's something that, you know, hits extremely close to you. I mean, when you look at, um, as you, t- you know, t- you talked about homelessness. But I mean even you know conditions when we talk about VA hospitals you know um just the the standard of of you know health care and, and and different things like that i want to ask you because of course you know you you are running in a red state um you are running as a democrat that provides its own unique set of challenges here in south carolina i want to ask you um because i can i can just tell you know being a military having a military background you know that if we're going to use the term you know we may use the term underdog i know that's something that, that would just you're you're inspired. You're fired up.
0: Well, there's no reason for. I mean, I hate for Joe Wilson to feel like he's an underdog, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know we're gonna win this race. You know, there people are tired of the incumbent and his lack of leadership. I mean, he's he's been a follower for quite some time. During 17 years that he's been in the office, the uh, national debt went from four trillion dollars to 21 trillion dollars. Nice. That's an average of a trillion dollars a year. We elect him again for two more years at a cost of a trillion dollars a year. We, I, I said we can't afford to elect him for another two years. The Republican Party used to be against tariffs. They used to loathe tariffs. They used to be for free trade. I mean, what is really going on? You know, we have uh, folks that are willing to blow up the deficit, uh, not be fiscally responsible, let alone fiscally conservative, uh I mean, the incumbent, he goes with the flow. He, uh, he got into office in 2001. He uh, became a member of the Tea Party when that was convenient. He became a member of the Freedom Caucus when that was convenient. And now we have the uh, Trump era and he's going along with whatever uh, that, that guy wants to do without holding any checks and balances, without any force, uh, foresight to the people of the 2nd uh, Congressional District. I mean, look at us. Our roads are cl- crumbling. Our education system is crumbling. Our minimum wage is disastrous. Our health care is, is horrible. Uh, and we've incurred $17 trillion more debt during his uh, during his uh, uh, run or his holding the seat. It's, it's utterly ridiculous. And now he's going to want to run for re-election so we could have more of the same? Listen it does not matter if people have an r or d next to their name i mean maybe maybe it does to some but i'm telling you i would vote leadership over party every time and that's what i'm offering everybody i'm offering them leadership you put me up there we're going to reach across the aisle and we're going to instill leadership back to that seat civility back to that seat integrity back to that seat those are the things that matter those are american values those are south carolinian values we value our children we value our elderly. These are things that we covet, and we've lost our way on these things. You know, when we want to deny children health care for the sake of partisanship, it, it, it should be criminal and people should be locked up over those things. That's not what we're about. We don't want to do those things. We are about removing roadblocks and removing barriers so that everyone can rise together. And, and so, when it comes to how this race is going on, uh, underdog? No, I, I don't see myself as an underdog. I see myself as someone that is going to take the fight uh, and to make a difference and take that message out to folks. And I need everyone uh, that, that, that's within the sound of your podcast and everywhere else to get involved and realize this is going to happen with you, uh, definitely with you. But uh, if not with you, we have a lot of people out there that are identifying as moderate Republicans that are willing to vote for this moderate Democrat because they realize leadership is more important than party at this point in time in our history.
1: I want to ask you, I just went to your website, went to uh, com. I see three uh, words, a uh, very uh, alliterative uh, commentary, education, economy, equality. Break that down for us and, and what will, you know, it... Uh, if elected, in your case, you're saying when elected, what will um, your tenure look like in terms of the issues and in terms of, you know, uh, facilitating some of these things that S- uh, South Carolinians uh, and people in your district
0: need so desperately? Sure. Well, look, uh, I think everything really starts and ends with education, uh, because when you get, you know, that, that gets into equality, uh, that gets into the environment, and that gets into the economy uh but there's only so much you can do from the federal level for for the education. But one big thing uh, two big things that I can do is I can make sure and fight for or make a difference in uh, that the, that public education receives the dollars, the federal dollars that that have been promised. The IDEA, the uh, uh, disabilities uh, uh, has not been fully funded since its inception. Uh, and we don't have, so when schools have to pay their money uh, towards the IDA to fund that, they have to pull from other uh, items such as uh, drama or a, a sports uh, type activity. The other thing, uh, so we don't need to do that. We need to fully fund that. We need to dedicate those dollars. If we have $92, $92 million to dedicate to a military parade, and believe me, I've been in my fair share of military parades. And I think parades are, are great. But $92 million is utterly ridiculous. But if we have $92 million for a military parade, what are we doing when we use that $92 million for a stupid parade that we don't need to have when we can use that $92 million to, to, to fund teachers, to uh, you know maybe uh, solve veterans' homelessness or something of that nature, something meaningful for our citizensry. I mean, this is, this is criminal, I mean, what, this is backwards thinking, this is a misuse of our tax dollars when we think about using $92 million for a military parade when we got teachers that we uh, just gave a 1% pay raise to, when the inflation's 2.9% and we just gave them a 1% pay raise, so effectively this year we're paying them 1.9% less than we paid last year for them. I mean, and we want the best teachers? How are we even going to have that come out of our mouths? We want the best teachers. We need to put our money where our mouth is. We need to te- uh, treat our teachers with dignity and respect. We need to give them the, the pay increases that they deserve. But I believe James Smith is going to handle that, and that's going to be a state issue. What I can do is I can make sure money comes down for the IDEA, and I could also address and, and promote a bill that gets rid of standardized testing. Standardized testing is literally... Raping public uh, uh, education of billions of dollars across the nation. We need to go to uh, more of a, a sample type uh, testing instead of uh, all-out testing, because you got a bell-shaped curve. And we won't get too far, uh, too deep into it, but we keep moving that the, the the standard to the right, and it's not a a standard that can continue on. Uh, it's not an achievable standard, and what that does is it ultimately ends up shifting public dollars away from uh public education and putting it into private education which is uh ridiculous because we all know that private education uh when it's funded by public uh, dollars it ends up decreasing uh the access for uh some communities we are well known for the quarter of shame bud ferrillo made the quarter of shame uh, film several uh years ago And what that highlighted was an atrocity right here in South Carolina, and it's going on across the nation as well. But what we have is we have a horrible formula for education. We take our tax dollars, property tax dollars, and that's what we use to fund our education. So for uh, low income areas or low property value areas, the schools in that area are gonna get funded less. And so when they're funded less, that means they're gonna have less resources. When you're gonna have less resources, you're gonna have less opportunity for kids going from K to 12th grade. When you have less funding for K through 12th grade, you're gonna increase the chances that you're gonna have the the, uh, school to prison pipeline uh, because of less opportunity. Let's face it, you know, we have single uh, parent homes out there. We have dual working family homes out there. We need, uh, in some areas, we need uh, preschool uh, activities going on and we need after school activities going on because of, uh, of our modern-day family challenges that we have. Uh, so these are some of the things that we need to get, get addressed. We could get billions of dollars uh, if we change and get rid of the uh, standardized testing. Now, I know that was a long way to answer ed- no, education. No,
1: no, no. That's, a, that's, a, that's exactly what we're looking for here. I think that's the advantage of, of having a podcast is we're not stopping for a commercial every five minutes. People can really, I think, hear contextually. You know just how passionate you are about the issues, and you know what this campaign means to you. It's, it's and, it, and I I use the word campaign because that's literally what it is. But for you, it's so much more than you know the the, the political you know aspect of it. It's you know you 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 know you fit, you care deeply about people, as opposed to you know over politics. I, I, that's what I'm uh, getting from this conversation. Well,
0: you, you know, you're, you're exactly right. You know because I mean when roadblocks and barriers are removed. It benefits everybody we live in a society and we need to stop you know right now uh, the elected officials are treating us like we live in a market well yes we have a market because we have capitalism but we're also a society and we can't ignore that part and we operate best when we have a balance of capitalism and and, and, uh, the society uh, keeping in mind the societal things that we have you know so when we could do those things when we can realize that everyone can benefit if we decrease our prison population. Because look, let's look at it from a, a several different uh, uh, avenues. If we decrease the prison population, which is about 2.2 million mm-hmm. right now, and the average price of a pris- prisoner right now, it costs the taxpayers about $31,000 a year, mm-hmm. uh, and the prison population has doubled in the last 20 years, it used to be right around a million. Well, we doubled that and we've cost, uh, cost us uh, somewhere around $50, $60 billion more a year to house the prisoners that we have. Well, that's utterly ridiculous because that's coming out of taxpayers' pocket. What if we uh, took and, and focused on equality, uh, one portion of equality, which is criminal justice reform, and we said we're going to focus on reentry programs so that we'll have a decrease in uh, uh, folks reoffending? We're going to give these folks. Uh, we're going to help uh, uh, people reenter society with a job skill and have a higher chance of gaining employment. Let's get rid of check the box. Let's get those. Let's truly live up to once you've uh, uh, served your debt to society, you get to go start uh, start over again and get on with your life. Let's let's live up to that. Now I get it. We have a few, uh, a few uh, heinous crimes out there that uh, that would we'll have to make some special exceptions for, such as rape or 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 murder or something like that but you're talking about your non-violent folks get rid of that check the box thing let's let these folks re-enter society let's give them the skill they need and guess what now they're not going back into that rotisserie going back into prison and costing us another thirty one thousand dollars a year and oh by the way guess what now they're making a wage and they're paying taxes so now they're a net positive to our society instead of a net negative as far as dollars go cuz i don't want to say negative because you know they're a person but as far as dollars go if we could put that into dollars and cents negative and positive that's what that means if we if we invest in reentry now in order to do that we have to give up the idea the business model that is the prison industrial uh, absolutely complex. now we're getting to literally getting to the money yeah now we're getting into the money but we have to be willing to go there and we have to have elected officials that are willing to say this ain't right. I'm going to fix it. I'm not accepting this, and we're going to we're going to do something about it. Because I believe that the businesses will actually prosper even more because when you have workers that are not in prison and they're they're out there earning dollars, what does that do? Oh, that stimulates the other E, which is the economy right. that we're talking. So all this stuff is interrelated, you know. And it makes too much sense to do these things, but you got to want to do them. But when you do the things that I'm talking about, you're doing it for the entire society and not for the select few in society. And some of these systems that we have in place are for the select few in society. And I'm just not about that. And I think there's many, many other great people out there that don't want to see that happen either. But unfortunately, the incumbent that's in place right now, he's not one of them. He's fine with going with the flow. You know, uh, he owns his family's business is the Palmetto State Army. Perfectly fine, you know, getting his weapons sold, all these other things. Turning his back on. You know, these are things. It's it, This is not a personal thing. It, it is to a point. But for me, it's not personal against the incumbent. For me, it's about, okay, y- you showed your failed leadership. It's time to go ahead and, and, and step aside and let actual leadership come in and get the job done for all 700,000 folks. That's what it's about. Uh, but that's the equality piece. The other portions of equality we could get into which would include uh, women's rights, uh, women being able to uh, have the, uh, uh, we need to close that pay gap for them. And we know that from an intersectionality standpoint, you know, we have uh, 80% for, for, I mean, we, if we want to get real with it, it's 80% for, for a white woman, it's 60, 60 cents on a dollar for a black woman. So, we, we, do want, we do want
1: to get real with it, by the way. Yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so, you know, what are we really doing there? We have work to do on both sides, uh, uh, all the way around, and then, you know, we, we have similar statistics that we can play for, for, for uh, African-American man as well. But if we just get into the equality portions and we're talking about opportunity, there's so many things that we can do, and I'm not promising that I could do it overnight. But I could promise that the voice you hear me speaking with right now, that's the voice I'm going to be speaking with in D.C. and these issues are important to me. And I believe that the will of the people, people here in Aiken, people in Richland, people in Orangeburg, people in uh, Lexington, and and Barnwell and many, many other uh, uh, counties in our state and outside our state, probably in Augusta too, believe in these things and believe that that we want health care. We want affordable housing. We want to be able to feed our children we want a fair shot we want roadblocks and, and and barriers removed so that we can all rise together and stop this division thing that's going up
1: we're going to come back to the second half of our conversation with sean kerrigan in just a minute but just want to put a a revolutionary beat a revolutionary tune in your ear from the late great bob marley and it's just so relevant to the times that we're living in now and just the urgency of midterm elections that are coming up. Just want to encourage everybody right now to get up, stand up and fight for what you believe in. You're listening to Making a Difference.
2: Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Step, step. stand up for your eyes
1: to making a difference with my handsome husband Ken Makin.
0: The economy was your third uh, was the third piece that you asked me about. There's a lot of formulas that we can go with and get this economy going. All right. It, it right now the economy people look at the stock market and they say, "Hey, that's great." Well, a lot of that's going up because of stock buybacks. We're being fooled right now. Not a whole lot of people the, the only. the only way that this economy is going great for folks is for the folks that are already in the halves, if you don't own stock, then the stock market doesn't matter to you. You know, these stock buybacks uh, that companies impose well, or, or get to do, because that's where 90% of this tax cut went to. They, raise, they, they put about 10% of their tax cut into raising wages, so we had about 2.7% in uh, uh, wage growth versus 2.9% in inflation, so everyone's getting paid. less than they did last year, by the way. Uh, But the buybacks, the CEOs and the people that are at the halves, they're reaping all these benefits. You know, record high uh, stock markets right now. But the economy, for the little guy, for the average person, we have students that are saddled with debt. We have people that are saddled with debt left and right. You know, and anytime someone's got to pay a credit card company or a student loan company, what you're doing is you're paying a bank. And when you're paying a bank, that's not stimulating the economy. Right. That's just paying the bank back. So for every $100 you got to pay back to a bank or a credit card or to a student loan, that's $100 you can't use to buy a house or a car or go out to eat or any other thing that would stimulate the economy. Now when we stimulate the economy, people, we need more workers. When we need more workers, we uh, end up needing a more competitive higher wage. This is what happens when you actually have real economic stimulation. This is fake economic stimulation that's going on right now. And it's unsustainable and it won't last. It'll burn out. It's probably got about a 12-month, maybe a 12-month more uh, cycle for it. And then it's going to burn out. And uh, we're going to see things uh, starting to reverse themselves. But for your average student, your average person, economic growth comes when you have more dollars in your pocket. If we were to incrementally raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. $15 an hour sounds like a lot of money, but it's really only $29,000 a year. And I believe that anyone working a a 40-hour-a-week full-time job should be paid a livable wage. In other words, they should be able to have their health care insurance, they should be able to feed their kids, and they should be able to have a roof over their head and not have to worry about those three bottom things. Anyone that's doing that 40 hours a week is our is, is our full-time standard. It should be a livable wage, and I think it's abysmal that we're, that, we're, that we're not there yet. There's too many people having to work two and three jobs. But with that said, $15 an hour, that would stimulate about $3 billion worth of economic growth just right here in the 2nd Congressional District. We raised the minimum wage to... Fit, and that, by the way, that doesn't mean that the guy that's currently making $15 an hour continues to make $15 an hour. What we're talking about is we're talking about going from $7.25 an hour to $15 an hour, which is essentially an $8 an hour pay raise. So the guy that's making $15 an hour, okay, bump him up to 23. I'm not saying bump him up to 30, bump him up to 23. Let's get real, let's get there. And then what what happens there? Well, guess what? Uh, The worker benefits, the government benefits, and small businesses benefit. All three benefit, why is that? Well, I'm glad you asked because small businesses, they get to sell more goods and services now because there's more money being stimulated in the economy. The worker has more pride because now he gets to actually support his family and he has more disposable income to put into the economy and he needs less government assistance from the third beneficiary, which is the government. And when we're talking about government being the beneficiary, that's the average citizen because our taxes are what's paying into those things. So when we, at the end of the day, it's a saving. We will save tax dollars if we raise the minimum wage. Businesses will not be hurt because they're going to sell more goods and services. Now, with that said, you have some small businesses that will probably uh, initially need some grant money or something to uh, get past the uh, first, you know, three to six months worth of uh, paying their workers because they're going to need that services uh, that 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 bump in business to hit. Before they could afford that, right. so initially for three, to six, three to six months, we might need to provide some stipends on a case by case business to some of these small businesses. We do that, and we go from seven dollars, seven twenty five to ten to twelve to fifteen, and you do that, phase that in like uh, uh, one year at a time. We could get to fifteen dollars an hour, uh, and uh, you know probably in about three years, and then over the next, uh, and then we could uh, put automatic uh, uh, increases in. Uh, and you can do that based on, like, a, a, a an index. So I think we do that, we will solve a lot of problems. I tell you that. To
1: me, it's just a common-sense solution to some very real problems. And, you, you know, you, you talked about, you know, so much, but I, I think it just it breaks down very simply. What you have in this country is, is that you have a clear indication, I think more than ever, of the haves and of the have-nots. When you talk about things like, you know, stock buybacks. What you have is, is you have the rich getting richer, and a lot of the times that's happening at the expense of the have nots who are relying on, you know, wage increases. Who are, you know, and, and as, you, as you say, you have people working two and three jobs. That affects, you know, family life. You got, you know, so many latchkey kids because you got, you know, mom or you got dads working 50, 60 hours a week just trying to make ends meet. So there's a lot there, but I'm just, I'm glad that there's a candidate who's running for Congress who is conscientious, you know, about some of the very real concerns that we're having. And I think you're not only speaking to concerns of South Carolinians, I think you're just you're speaking to some nationwide concerns as well. So just a, a very, you know, conscientious commentary there uh, by, by the candidate, Mr. Sean Kerrigan.
0: Well, I appreciate that, Ken.
1: Sure thing. I want to ask you, and I just kind of want to give you some background about myself, because I had a, a chance to, um, to speak to some issues, and I'm, I'm going to get to, an an ultimate point, but I just want to just tell you just very briefly, last year around this time, I had a chance to um, talk about a a controversial monument um, in my, uh, well, basically my native North Augusta. And it was a a Confederate monument, and that was a a big deal, and as you can imagine, it was a pretty polarizing commentary. I'm saying that to say that, uh, that really, it really stoked my fire in a way that it hadn't been stoked previously, allowed me to really look at things, not just on that I think just on an entry level in terms of politics and on, in terms of you know having a you know a conversations with your elected officials, but I really started doing some research and looking at the statistics of things that were happening not only in North Augusta, but just in Aiken county and when I had a chance to do that, I sat down and you know I really started looking at disparity and I started looking at poverty rates and when I looked at those things, Sean, I looked at um, a lot of those things from a demographical perspective and so what i saw was i saw where when you have when we talk about haves and have nots a lot of those times those things break down along racial lines and you're talking you know a lot of the things that you're talking about you're alluding to you know uh the concerns that african americans have in terms of childcare, different things like that as i'm doing this as i'm doing this podcast i'm doing it as a a community advocate, I'm also doing it as a black man. So I'm asking you, as a, as a black man, what does that look like when, I'm going to say when you're elected. I'm going to go ahead and speak into this. Okay, I got faith in you. There you go. But as, as a black man, if I'm asking you to speak to these issues, in terms of the African-American community, what, is that, what does that look like for you? If I'm saying, hey, I'm seeing some clear disparities here. If I'm saying in Aiken County, um think the poverty rate for whites i think is at six or eight percent for african americans is at thirty percent i mean yeah. that's 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 a huge
0: divide John. yeah yeah well ken i mean this is this is something that's been obviously i'm sure you know because uh, you're very plugged in and probably most of your list, listeners know it it's it's unacceptable but nevertheless it's not anything that's new it's been a systemic uh thing that's uh been going on since the country's inception to be honest with you and and uh i was always taught that the first uh way to cure a problem is to first admit that there is a problem uh and we have a problem we have a problem and uh people of color have been uh oppressed uh suppressed uh in in many different ways Uh, you know we had slavery initially and then we had Jim Crow laws. After that, and then we, you know, today we have modern-day slavery, which known as the uh, part of it's known as the uh, prison industrial uh, complex. Uh, That's just part of it. There's many many more elements of it. Um, But these things, uh, these things didn't happen by mistake. These things uh, happened. I mean, we had redlining going on back in the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s. The uh, we had. uh, the GI Bill and the, and the VA benefits to buy homes and stuff of that nature which uh, for a while it was like 99% of the people that qualified for those types of things were, were uh, Anglo-Americans versus uh, uh, your people of color which made up about 1%. So the the, the accumulation of wealth has been denied to African-Americans for, for, for quite some time. And so you know when we hear people talk about uh, reparations and stuff of that nature, um, you know, really there's kind of a strong case for that when we get into the denial of accumulation of wealth that's happened historically over time. I do think that that perhaps may be a bridge too far to, 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 to gap, uh, but I do believe that uh, we need to fight for equality and to remove those barriers and, and, and uh, roadblocks moving forward. Uh, I think that's where we need to be. I think. Uh, Turning back the hands of time and trying to right uh, uh, the wrongs, I don't think that that's something that we're going to be able to do. So I think moving forward, uh, yeah, Confederate, uh, Confederate monuments, I don't buy into the heritage uh, uh, thing. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a, look, you lost the war. Uh, I got it. It was some of your ancestors. Uh, many of these monuments we know were put up uh, decades ago. After the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, some of them were put up in the uh, in the 20th century, you know. Uh, so there's some of them were put up uh, in states that uh, weren't even part of the Union, <laughs> you know, or weren't weren't even part of the United States during uh, 1864. So overall, there's uh, evidence shows. That these uh, that these monuments were put up a- a- as a way to harass and intimidate uh, people of color. Uh, I'm not for them. I uh, I'm happy to see them come down one by one. I wish to, uh, I-, I would like to see them all come down. Uh, I do think that uh, there's cities that are taking it upon themselves. New Orleans did a great job. The mayor down there, Mayor Landau. And there's many other states that are doing great things to, to remove some of these things. I do think uh, we're on the right path there. I think 10, 20 years from now, maybe we won't be having this conversation anymore. Maybe, uh, maybe there will be a, a exodus of these things within our, our, our system. But with that said, once those things are gone, what's the next thing? That we need to address because I don't see that I don't think that we're going to get through this anytime soon as a permanent uh, as a permanent solution. I think that will I think it's going to be a long fight. I think we need to go ahead and get the things addressed now that are going to move us towards a more level playing field.
1: I I agree with that wholeheartedly and that's that's basically what I was what I was alluding to is is that when I you know was looking at those statues I said there are I would I would argue more profound issues in terms of. Economics. You um, you talk briefly about reparations. I don't I don't know if you're an advocate for, uh, for for reparations. I'm, I'm curious because I are you more focused on reparations in and of itself? I know they had that conversation in Charleston. Um, or is it more? Would you say would you, or do you believe more in policy in terms of creating that level playing field? In terms of saying, well, you know, we need to put money here in education. We need to put money here in childcare. What does that look like? For yeah. You?
0: Uh, I think it's more of a policy uh, thing. I think realistically we could achieve it from a policy standpoint. I don't believe that from a financial standpoint that that's, uh, some people have made the argument for for financial dollars. Um, I I don't see that happening. Uh, From a policy standpoint, from a removing roadblocks standpoint, from a a providing the actual let's uh, all be one community and rise together standpoint, Um, that's where I want to focus my efforts in moving forward. I want to, uh, I want kids that are in school, regardless of what zip code they grew up in, to have a quality education. Absolutely. I want kids, regardless of what zip code they live in, that if they did the work to be able to, uh, uh, go to uh, college, that they get to go to college and not be saddled with, uh, crushing debt for the rest of their lives. I think right here in I don't think I know right here in our country we have all the talent we need in our classrooms for our future uh, uh, high tech jobs and our doctors and our scientists. We have them. Unfortunately, there's many kids uh, that could be a doctor or could be a scientist or could realize these really great uh, careers and hey, hats off to, 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 to folks that do everyday uh, uh, hard you know, labor or, you know, road workers and stuff that's honorable work too all I'm saying is we, have, uh, we probably have the next Einstein Albert Einstein or the next uh, great uh, leader right here in our schools right now that may not be able to realize their dream may not be able to make the impact on our society because we have roadblocks and barriers standing in their way and they might not be able to get past them
1: that's that's a heartbreaking commentary when you think you might have the next Einstein or the next you know Dr. King or the next you know like you say uh, intellectual scientist whomever because they came to school hungry. Came to you know, school hungry. Different things like that. But I, I tell you what, I haven't talked to this gentleman for for 40 minutes. He's got my vote. I'm uh I'm rooting for him. I want you guys to listen, to y'all. It's I mean we're inside of three months. The so vote is so November six. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is this is important. I heard a, I heard a lot of trash talk in, 20, in 2016 after the presidential election. I heard a lot of commentary in 2017 about how people were going to vote in the midterm elections. Hey, we're, we're, the the challenge. The, the time is now. The challenge is now, and we have worthy candidates. We have exceptional candidates like Sean Kerrigan uh, who, who need your vote, who need your support. I'm going to encourage you guys. Uh, you can go to kerriganforcongress.com. You can call this gentleman. Can I give him this number? Or you, give yeah.
0: him, you can give him that Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and give him that number. That's the campaign phone. Miss Katie Nystrom uh, uh, monitors that phone. And uh, we're all about one team, one fight. we got to get this done together. I'm going to be that voice for everybody. But in order to do that, I need people to show up. you got to show up. And that's really the mantra that we need to uh, go by. Everybody needs to show up. And not just show up, but get your cousin to show up. Right. Get your auntie to show up. Get everyone to show up. Look, we know what happened down in Alabama. And uh, yeah, you know, there was a a mixed bag of people that voted. But let's make no mistake about this. The base of the Democratic Party is black women. Black women are the strength of this party. And uh, I don't want to... uh, uh, I, I definitely want to give a shout out. But I want to recognize the importance... That we all move forward together, and uh, what happened in Alabama, what happened all across this nation with Democratic wins, could not be possible without the base turning out. But they showed up. South Carolina, we will win on November 6th when the base shows up. And trust me, the base also afterwards needs to hold everyone accountable that they voted for, and hold them hold people accountable before you vote too. You know in upcoming elections, next year, the following year, make sure that you're asking the tough questions during the primary season to make sure that these folks are representing the things that you want. But one option that cannot be there, you can't stay home. You gotta show up. And you can vote up to thirty days early by absentee. So all you gotta do is call that election office or go down to the election office and get it done. With that said, Ken, I'm gonna let you wrap it up, buddy. I appreciate it. Man. <laughs> oh no man, I um
1: I tell you what, we're just so glad to have uh, Mr. Sean Kerrigan on the show. Again, he's a candidate uh, for United States Congress District 2. Um, I know we have a lot of folks listening to the podcast who, you know, miss uh, President Barack Obama even now. And so I'm here to tell you if you live in a second co- congressional district as I do, you have a candidate who, I mean, for lack of better uh, terminology, spit in, your president, spit in your former president's face uh, with that commentary. And you have a gentleman right here, right now, who's saying, I want to vote him out of office. I'm going to accept that challenge. I hope you accept it as well. Glad to
0: have you on the show, Sean. I appreciate it, Ken. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Making a Difference. But the movement doesn't stop here. You can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash making, M-A-K-I-N, a a difference. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash making, M-A-K-I-N, a difference show. That's the best way to keep up with all of our podcasts and video logs. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. You win. Perfect.